I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome to our Silhouette Conversation, Dr. Katherine Turpin. Dr. Turpin is Associate Dean of Curriculum and Assessment, Director of the Masters of Divinity Program, and Professor of Practical Theology and Religious Education at Islip School of Theology. Welcome, Dr. Turpin, to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Westfield. I'm happy to be here. So we have our 13 questions ready. Question number one. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, you know, there were the kind of like, I wanted to fly a starship and I wanted to do the very imaginative kind of things. I think the earliest thing I named was that I wanted to be a lawyer. And this was a reflection of my mother saying to me, you should be a lawyer because you could argue about everything. Um, and so I had this image of lawyers <laughs> as sort of um, makers of arguments. And that was one of my early um, desires that held really until I figured out what law school would look like. And defenders of justice too. I could actually see you in that role, Catherine. You would you would make a great defender of justice and lawyer person. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think that, um, yeah, it is striking to me. I had no idea I could be what I have turned out to be, that I could be a professor or that I would certainly be an associate dean or any of these kind of roles that I have now. Um, that those were not available to me in terms of the people around me or just my imaginative world. So mm -hmm. um, this make, helps me relax with my own children as they're trying to sort out their own vocations and saying, you know, things may come to you that you never knew would, were possible. That's right. That's right. Next question. Who was proud of you when you became a teacher? Um, you know, I think both of my grandmothers who were teachers, they were school teachers for younger children, um, understood that role and were proud of it. And my my paternal grandmother actually gave me a tea set that her mother had used with her own students so that when I had students over to my house, I could um, serve them tea. So she had this very genteel, refined notion of college mm -hmm. professor or teacher. But I think they both... Um, definitely understood that work. And it was the concrete side of this thing that I was doing that they could connect to. Wow. So, but just the gesture of hospitality and graciousness and aligning that with teaching. Here's what marvelous. you would need, a beautiful yeah, That's design. right. Here are your tools. Here are your tools for teaching. <laughs> Which I have never used mm -hmm. because it's so old. I would be terrified yeah, to actually yeah, use it, yeah, but yeah. it's in my home. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? Oh, for sure. My two mentors, um, Chuck Foster and Mary Elizabeth Moore, I got to teach with both of them um, as a graduate student. And I think just their fearlessness and doing all kinds of things you wouldn't imagine doing in a classroom normalized risk taking and embodied forms of teaching. And so much so that every once in a while I get caught off guard that people find what I do in teaching surprising or unusual, because it doesn't seem so to me. It's the way I was raised up as a teacher, but um, they certainly have written their, their styles all over my own practice. 
Nice. They are wonderful people. And and my mentors as well, right? It's a small field. You teach in a small field. And the next question is akin to that. What has surprised you about teaching or what has surprised you about the teaching life? Um, one thing I think is when people actually learn and then make changes in their own life because of what they've learned in the classroom. And I know that seems ridiculous, but I, I, a recent example is I've been teaching this class called Food, Faith in the Land, and I get these emails from students about their gardens that they're planting or uh, just how they've become a vegan because of our conversations. And, um, you know, in earlier times teaching feminist theology, it would be things about um, the status of their marriages or how they, you know, these kind of life changes that people have made because of conversations we have. And it's not that I don't take the conversations we have in our classroom seriously, but I, I have a pretty healthy skepticism of how small that is in the scope of their whole lives and the formative kind of elements. So it always surprises me when I get those kind of emails. Uh -huh. I made this life change because of your class. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. How humbling and frightening at the same time, right? I know. I know. Especially when there's sometimes life changes that I haven't made because of my <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Oh, you took all that seriously. <laughs> my father would say every tub has to sit on its own bottom, right? So you do you, <laughs> I'll do I'm right. Do okay. Next. Exactly. Um, what is a favorite nickname by which you were called by a loving person? Oh. Um I mean, I, I was Kathy for many, many years um, by everybody close to me, including graduate school colleagues. So, so um, I did eventually leave that name behind, but it is um, still one that evokes a younger me in happy ways. Okay. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? Mm. You know, um, I think in another life, I would have been a novelist. Um, I would love to do that still. In fact, um, I have written novels. I have not shared them publicly. <laughs> you have novels. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think that would be one. Certainly, um, I have a lot of respect for people who write novels well and write short stories and things like that. And, you um, have on your laptop novels that you have written. I do. Have you ever tried to publish them or shown them to anybody? No, I think I know. I mean, I, I think they're early novels, you know, their first goes at this and I'm learning still. So, um, but yeah, um, I, my children have read them and we've okay. talked about them. Okay. So I have shared that, them with people that are important to me. Okay. That's, yeah. that's something they're not, okay. They're not in mothballs or something in the attic. They, they are relatively alive. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, do you enjoy writing in longhand? And if so, what is your preference for uh, ink pen or writing utensil? Oh, I do. I do all of my journaling in longhand. Um, and some days I like a really sharp pencil, but it has to be like really freshly sharp. Um, and then otherwise I'm happy with a ink pen, but I like um, certain kinds of free flowing ballpoint kind of pens as opposed to very fine tipped. I, I'm very picky about writing. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> That's actually one of my favorite questions in these interviews. Everybody has a preference. It mm -hmm. is fascinating to me. Yeah. Words are our craft in so many ways. Yeah. Um, what's your superpower? 
Oh, um, I think that my superpower is the capacity to listen with empathy to other people's experiences. And um, sometimes to my detriment. Um, <laughs> but I think that, I don't know if it's all the reading I did as a kid, or, you know, sometimes people talk, talk about that as a trauma response of growing up in certain kinds of families. But for whatever reason, that always comes really easy to me. Mm-hmm. You also have a kind of, st- when you're listening, you grow very still, mm-hmm. which is amazing to me. It's very lovely. Next, what's your favorite cuss word? Oh, you know, I'm not a big, I have learned to cuss as my children learned to cuss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is one of those throwback things that I don't know why. But um, my mother was always a big fan of rat fink, which I think is a very (laughs) fun one. It's got a lot of like um, vowels. and I mean, our consonant consonant sounds. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And my grandmother was a big fan of, oh, fiddle. <laughs> so I'm a little throwback. I mean, you know, I have developed more of a mouth on me in, in recent years, but um, how have you survived certain violences in teaching? Oh, by having good colleagues to talk to, I think has really been key. Um to sort of sort out my own experiences with people who listen well and um who empathize and who uh, get angry with me and also sometimes who strategize responses, um, you know, and ways of caretaking that are important um, for your own sanity and things like that. So I think uh, good colleagues. What healings have you witnessed or received in the classroom teaching? I think one, and um, what comes to mind is teaching about social class mm-hmm. and um when people are given names for experiences they've had that have been kind of shameful or um, amorphous or just not really something they had a handle on and they get a sense, like a structure for thinking about it that makes sense and names their own experience in ways that leaves them not as alone in that experience, but understand it as part of a communal thing or part of a, you know, just something that other people have experienced so I think, you know, sometimes conversations about passing do that or conversations about class injury or conversations where suddenly th- this life experience that they had that felt isolating or felt shameful or somehow um, that disconnected them becomes a way to connect with other people and to understand. And that's always a really powerful, I think, healing kind of moment um, when people recognize that their experiences are shared and not abnormal and in fact people have navigated them before and there are resources to do that that's mm-hmm. always really powerful what have you enjoyed most about the teaching life i just you know getting to have uh in-depth conversations with people about things that really matter to them on the daily you know um and just to jump in on all kinds of um issues, concerns, uh, hurts, hopes, all those things are just the stuff I traffic in day in and day out. It makes, means I'm not really good at small talk at parties because mm-hmm. <laughs> I always dive in way too fast. Um, but teaching has given me excuse to get to have those conversations with lots of people. Nice. 
So not yet, but when you are old and you've been teaching a long, long time, so in the future, what miracles will you have performed? Hmm. I mean, I, I, I hope that helping students find one another is a miracle. Um, helping them own their own stories and feel strength in the uh, living out of them. And, you know, just when you think about the sort of circles of influence of the people that you've talked to or worked with or learned from over, you know, time, that's kind of astounding, just the the breadth of that engagement. Dr. Turpin, thank you for your candor. Thank you for your insight. Um, thank you for showing us a little bit more about who you are and how you go about your teaching. Thanks for all those great questions, Lynn. To our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place. Look on the website for information about cohort groups, workshops, and colloquies, and roundtables. Look on our website for educational resources, as well as information about our regranting program. A special thanks to sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie, and a special thanks to podcast producer, Rachel Mills. The music which frames this silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul? <laughs>